This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 recruiting news, and listener contests. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, 12 Pack Radio, 12PAC Radio. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on Apple, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, any podcast catcher out there. We are there. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio, and a big announcement to make. We already announced this last week, but we are opening up our uh, Pac-12 Survivor Pool to all of our listeners. If you're interested in joining, basically all it is is every week you pick one team to advance, and uh, in the Pac-12, you just pick them to win straight up, no spread involved. If they win, you advance. If they lose, you are out, and we will mock you on this radio show. Um, if you're interested in joining, we're going to have prizes at the end. Uh, you'll be able to compete against the hosts here, uh, our folks at Wildcat. Cat Radio and Free Ball and Podcast and Utah Man Podcast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a great way to stay engaged. If you're interested, send us your uh, – tell us that you're, you're in. You can do that by uh, sending us a tweet at, at 12-Pack Radio. Or you can email us. Uh, we're using our Wildcat Radio AZ email right now. So wildcatradioaz at gmail.com. Just shoot us a quick email. Say, hey, I'm in. Uh, and we'll get you the details there. And you can find the rules at our website at Wildcat Radio AZ. Uh, let's get into this. We are talking Colorado. And I'm so excited about our guest. Oh, well, first of all, I'm always excited about having Rob on. Rob, how, how could I, I forget? I can't even. I'm, I'm a man on fire right now. What's going on? We never meet this way. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. We're gonna, you know, put a put another Pac-12 team to bed here and uh, cover the buffs and keep chugging through the all twelve of them. We're all dressed in lingerie as we put them to bed. It's going to be great. It's going to be really exciting. <laughs> uh, so uh, we talked about this with the Utah Man podcast too because we were really excited to have them on. Same thing with the Freeballing podcast. We have gone back and forth on Twitter, and you guys are salty, but you're like a polite salty. You're not petulant children salty, and so it's so fun to go back and forth with these guys. They know their Colorado stuff. Uh, you know, John, we're going to talk about your podcast a little bit more in in the, the middle of this episode, but uh, just a quick breakdown. So the free Ball and podcast uh, covers Colorado football and uh, just a, a, a brevity of different uh, topics. It's really fun to listen to. Welcome to the podcast, man. As you said, we like to have a little fun, but not uh, angry fun when it comes to the back and forth with the boys of the Pac-12. So um, I'm, I'm excited to get on with you guys tonight and, and see what kind of fun we can drum up. Are you ready for the full Montez, man? This is I'm so stoked about <laughs> uh, about Steven Montez. This is going to be a crazy year for Colorado. I think there's a lot of question marks, but also some really Really good talent here. Uh, let's kick it first to Rob. Rob, let's break down what uh, the the beta rank advanced statistical model said about Colorado last year. Yeah, so the Buffs were they were a little disappointing. I think the preseason model had had the Buffs doing significantly better coming off of their Pac-12 South championship. Um, the defense was expected to regress, uh, and they certainly did. But the offense really did not live up to expectations uh, given what they had coming back. Uh, so last year, the offense ranked 74th overall. Uh, they ranked 73rd in drive efficiency. Um, they were a little more explosive, ranking 69th. But um, 
really just none of the numbers really jump out at you. They were they were fairly balanced and, and not graded a lot. So they uh, they rank 71st with the effective rush, uh, 60th with the effective passing. Uh, they were decent on third down, ranking 50th. Um, they, they didn't put up a lot of turnovers, so at least there's that. <laughs> so they mostly, when they when they when they gave the ball back over, they didn't turn it over. Um, they went they went and uh, punted the ball back to the opponent. The defense is where the real regression uh, took place. Uh, they ranked out at 96th. Um, they rank 63rd in drive efficiency, but 110th in explosiveness, and that really hurts you. When you're giving up big plays uh, like that, you're going to give up a lot of points. Um, of course, some of that is they were the first team to have to suffer through Khalil Tate. Um, I was going to say, let's be honest, that number is drastically skewed <laughs> because of Khalil Tate in one game. And, but and, thank and you for at least recognizing that. No, and, and in fact, they, they ranked 119th against the run, which also may have been because Khalil Tate set a single-game quarterback record for rushing. But they really weren't great on third down either, and um, they, they really needed to work, they really need to improve on getting off the field. Um, and they didn't they didn't create a ton of uh, disruptive plays, ranking 84th. Um, not a lot that they could really hang their hat on. So this is a team that last year, I think uh, the defense wasn't expected to be as bad as they were. And the offense certainly didn't live up to expectations going into the year. So John, based on some of those, I know there's a lot of data to throw at you at one time, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, does that kind of reflect what you saw on the field when you were watching CU last year? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's nice about the three of us, Tyler, Tyler, and myself, um, is that we actually, I just figured this out. We're JTT. That's fantastic. Nice. Um, but yeah, uh, is that we have gotten to see a lot of games in person, particularly the 2016 season. Like we made the trek out to the big house. Uh, we saw a lot of uh, the big wins in person as well. And so I could see how coming into the 2017 season with the offensive output that you had with a less athletic Cepho Lufau, um, but most of the same wide receivers, the same running back, and virtually no tight end anyways, that coming into the 2017 season, you would expect something, if not the same, or a little bit more because of what you saw from Steven Montez at the Oregon game. Um, but what we didn't see, or what a lot of the country didn't see, is that lack of leadership. Um, not only between what you had with Seth Lufau, and he gets dogged on in a lot of areas, but what he did for that huddle was unmeasurable. Like there's, or immeasurable. There's no way that you can really quantify what he brought to the field when he stepped into the huddle. And so what I think you saw was a, not a regression of talent, but a regression of maturity. And um, we had three senior wide receivers in Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo and Devin Ross that put up huge years in 2016. They were ranked one of the top five wide receiver cores in the country. And everyone expected them to at least get drafted. Well, you get that kind of publication things start to go to your head and ego started to get into the way. And so all you had left was Philip Lindsay in the backfield, trying to control that kind of maturity control that kind of focus. And one man is only so much sometimes, uh, you know, your senior captain on offensive line, Alex Kelly gets suspended before the first two games of the year. So it's just a difficult transition into what is supposed to be a big year, a prove it year for Mike McIntyre and the bus. And instead you really end up with Philip Lindsay covering up a ton of blemishes, having one of the best years in Colorado football history. Um, and 
you got what you saw. Yeah, so. it was it was a heck of a fall, and we'll go uh, position by position because I do think there is some hope in some of these position things. But let's uh, before we go into those, can you just highlight four players, maybe three? major players that everybody should know and maybe one kind of dark horse that when we go through these positions we can kind of stop and then expand upon uh why those players are important for colorado this year absolutely uh, i'll do two offensive two defensive just to kind of keep it leveled out uh, first of all i think strong safety evan worthington is someone that you guys should keep your eyes on um CU has kind of become a dbu of the past four or five years and he will probably be the next um defensive back drafted uh, out of Colorado. Uh, he was on a preseason, a couple of preseason All-American lists, and he is going to be an ex- exceptional strong safety. Um, the other one I think you guys should keep an eye on is defensive end Mustafa Johnson. He is a Juco transfer with uh, four to play three who has come in immediately and just wowed the, not only the coaching staff, but the players. He's a big boy. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, he's like 6'2", but has the wingspan of a gentleman that's like 6'6". Very long wingspan, very long hands, about 295 pounds that has come in and shown that he can make an immediate impact. On the offensive side of the ball, perfect to your tagline, I think this is a year that Steven Montez needs to show up and show out. Um, I think with the work of Kurt Roper, his time spent at the Manning passing camp this summer, that this is the time that the athleticism matches the mentality. Um, And if that all clicks for us, um, it is going to be a a fun, fun football season. And then lastly, I'm going to go with someone that you got glimpses of last year, but it's going to be wide receiver, Jawan Winfrey. Um, He's out of the Juco ranks after getting in trouble at the University of Maryland. And unfortunately, his first year here tore his ACL. But he is a freak of nature. Um, He is a big man. If you guys have seen the the gif out there of him just putting a USC cornerback in a bottle and spinning him around over and over and over. I mean, he's 6'2", 205 pounds of grown man and can run like a 4'3", 4'4", So it will be fun to see what he's able to do, but that's the other guy I would keep an eye on. Right on. Well, let's let's get right into the quarterback here. The full the full Montez, man. Steven Montez, 6'5", <laughs> 230, junior, um, 60.5% uh, pass completion rate, almost 3,000 yards, about 8 yards per completion, 18 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. It seems like everybody that's a Pac-12 expert has zeroed in on Steven Montez in the sense that he has what appear to be the tools to be an NFL quarterback. And not just that. I mean, like on this podcast, we don't care as much about whether or not players get to the NFL. We really care about college. And on that sense too, he has the tools to be a player that could carry this Colorado team um, above and beyond what the expectations are this year. What makes him so special? And and why is there this, uh, this kind of like voyeurism about like what this guy is and what he can be <laughs> well i think you have to go back to the first game you really got to see him right like go to that oregon game you know that's that's cu's rise right the, the, the year of the rise for cu Seppo gets hurt everyone thinks the season's done you know we win a cl- we lose a close game at michigan and oregon is in the top 25 at that time and we're playing at oregon and he's a freshman that has not played but 15 snaps in a Michigan game and he just looked lost and then he comes out and puts up 330 and over 100 rushing yards and wins a game at Oregon. I mean, that just right there, you're like, I mean, I remember there was arguments that year, like that's the dude, put him in. 
Like, how can you not play Steven Montez? And then we saw why last year. There was some maturation that needed to occur. But, I mean, he has a howitzer of an arm. He has an absolute cannon. He is a freak athlete. There's, you know, clips running around of him doing the the in-between-the-legs dunk and 360 dunk. Um, You know, he finally started taking care of his nutrition, too. Uh, There were stories going around that he used to eat five frozen pizzas a day. My man. That's what's his college diet. <laughs> <laughs> like, get after it, brother. Do your thing, man. Like, like, I would expect. It was like, buy one, get one on, like, Red Baron. Uh, <laughs> might as well go every day. Yeah, so they're just giving it to me. I mean, it can't not. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, but then I think outside of the pure athleticism, like he has a great set of feet. He has some quickness for a quarterback that's 6'5", 230. You look at what the coaching staff and the turnover or, or the change this year. You have Darren Cheverini, who comes from the Texas uh, Tech offense, bringing that to CU and spreading that offense out, being a high, high-flying, high-gun offense. And then you bring in Kurt Roper that has worked with David Cutliffe um, out at Duke and has been around Eli Manning and the Mannings. And he's bringing that work ethic, that focus, that drive, that film mentality to a kid that has all the athletic ability in the world. If it doesn't click this year, then when will it? And so I think that a lot of pundits out there know who Kurt Roper is, know what Darren Shepherdy can do as a co-offensive coordinator. And then you look at some of the tools around him, which we'll obviously get to in the other positions. But I think that all of that combined primes him for an opportunity to really showcase his skill set as a possible NFL cornerback, quarterback, excuse me. Rob, are you as high on Montez is uh, in terms of his potential as most people that you see? So I, I think with Montez, it's it's fair to ask sometimes because we tend to do it, it a lot of like when we talk about potential is size. So is is Stephen Montez the six five two forty first baseman who can't hit off speed pitches? Um, and is he ever going to hit them? You know, and I, that's the when. Athlon did their uh, anonymous coaching feedback article. Uh, you know, the knock on Montez is, yeah, he only had nine interceptions, but he makes a lot of really inexplicable reads and throws. Um, and I don't know that the mental aspect of the game. I think we tend to uh, we tend to get wowed with. I mean, he does have a howitzer of an arm and some really phenomenal athleticism. Um, but he had, you know, maybe his most experienced receiving core he was going to have last year. Um, so I. I don't know that I don't I'm not saying that I don't think Montez can take a step forward I certainly think he can now how big of a step forward is he going to take I I think that's gonna I'm a little more up in the air on that one um just because I I, when you look back and and watch some of his throws last year like yeah he didn't get him picked off but it was clearly not the right read to be making yeah, one one more thing to pile on here, John, and then I'll let you respond. <laughs> is not that he doesn't like he has like he's a little bit like Josh Allen, like he has a just an immense amount of like physical tools. With Montez, I think one of the problems too could be his. When I mean, you touch on this, it's his maturity level, right? He's in a fraternity. Seemed like he wasn't taking things super seriously. He wasn't named team captain last year. I'm not certain if that's the case. I don't know when they vote on captain this time. But like th- those are big warning flags in the sense of does this guy want to take this seriously? And did you? I mean, is that still a concern for Colorado fans moving into 2018? I think it's always going to be on your mind and. I mean, to put it out there, he was not voted captain again this year. Um, oh. Now, 
everyone tries to downplay that. Um, I, I kind of fall in the middle. I think it is a bit of a warning sign, but I also think that in certain positions, this is a senior later team. Um, it also, the way they do this, we got a little insight on this is that the coaches walk out of the room and then Rick Gamboa, uh, senior middle linebacker stands up and says, if you want to be a captain, stand up and tell us why. And then they vote on it. And they were supposed to only have four to six captains and they ended up with seven. Now there are, and we see this in all types of sports. There are men that want to be leaders by voice. And there's men that want to be leaders by action. What Steven Montez is, I don't know why he is not a captain. I don't know, but if you look at what he was able to do, and again, it's a small sample size at the Oregon game or even games thereafter, you know, he can lead a football team to victories. It's, can you do it 10 times or eight or seven or whatever? Right. Or, yeah. I'd say seven, seven would be legit. Right, like I'd take that. But it's whether he can do it in regardless of win loss or whatever. It's whether you can do it 12 times because leadership shows up in, in failure too. So, I think the best thing that happened to Steven Montez was them hiring Kurt Roper. Um, he has been around two of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. He knows what it takes to win. He knows what it takes to prepare. He knows what it takes to lead a football team. And he can immediately implement that. I also think there's some other position players that have started to rub off on Montez that we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Well, and it'll be interesting to see what he has uh, with his wide receiving core. And we'll get to that because I think that's a highlight. But one of the other concerns is the lack of running game in terms of a proven. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I have a question, though. Sure. What happens if Steven Montez gets hurt? Because I watched Colorado spring game and holy moly, like is Colorado a three win team if Steven Montez gets injured? You know, that's a great question. Um because everyone asks, I mean, as an Arizona fan, you know, if Khalil Tate goes down, you know, Katie bar the door because <laughs> it could be a real long season. Thank God we took out your starting quarterback and they were like, never mind. That was the worst <laughs> thing ever. Sweet God, take it back. Put it back in. Please. But I, I just when I watched those when I watched your spring game, I just I, I came away thinking, oh, those two guys looked a little a little bit like they were confused and behind. And I mean, they're still young, but um, right. I wouldn't feel very confident <laughs> with, with either. No, I'm, I'm with you brother, to be honest. I mean, I've, I'm more of the blatant one on the, in the group of the three of us. I, if it were me, I would, I would start uh, Tyler Lytle. I would skip Sam Noir and go straight to the redshirt freshman. Um okay. I don't think Sam Neuer can can compete in college football. I think he's a great backup quarterback. I think that he serves his role and serves his purpose. But I think in terms of physical tools and overall gifts and what he can do on a football field, I'd go Tyler Leiter. Tyler Lytle. Um, Sam Neuer is a bit rigid. Um, I think he has poor decision-making skills, and I think he second-guesses a lot in, in how fast the college football game is now and the amount of defensive players flying around the field. You need to be confident in your reads and get the ball out of your hand fast. And I don't think Sam Neuer has that capability. Let's get to the running back here. You lose Philip Lindsay. 
who was a monster last year, um, 300 touches, right. 1,400 yards, 15 touchdowns. Um, anybody that watched the Arizona-Colorado game last year, it was just um, a, a, a futile experiment in run defense. Uh, basically, Khalil Tate would break off an 80-yard run. Philip Lindsay would break off an 80-yard run. and went back and forth. Basically, the whole game was quite fun. Um, but it does highlight what he's yeah. able to do um, against terrible uh, defenses. But also, he was quite good against good defenses also. The problem was the players behind him nobody on the Colorado team uh, that was not named Philip Lindsay averaged more than 2.6 yards a carry in 2017 that is incredibly worrisome now Mike McIntyre went out and tried to fix that problem he brought in a guy named uh, Trayvon McMillan a Virginia Tech grad uh, transfer that like he was all right i guess like 104 carries for five, uh, 450 yards basically 4.2 yards a carry his production though as i understand kind of diminished over time like he started a, with a bang as a freshman and then he was he kind of uh, as as more talent i think came in that program he got fewer touches but it is another body behind there what's going on i know you got a uh, bo uh bisharat uh i think is how you pronounce the guy's name who had came in mm-hmm. as like one of the best athletes in 2016 still kind of sitting on that pine he's got a little bit of time on the field but isn't quite there uh alex fortnot i I, i'm just looking at this the squad going like okay where's the production going to come from no and i don't think you're far behind anyone out here either uh obviously uh trevon mcbillion um for virginia tech is is going to be the guy that gets the first crack at it right you know like you said in his freshman year he had over a thousand yards and then as the time went uh, went on i think his sophomore year was around 750 and then his junior year was around 500 plus um so you wonder if it's one of two things more talent shared backfield however frank beamer liked to run his offense whatever the case may be um but I think the hope is is that he comes in and I, no one's going to replace Philip Lindsay because first of all, you had a stat earlier that we had a limited amount of turnovers, right? Philip Lindsay didn't fumble the ball. Think about that. Over 300 touches and he never gave it away. That's, that's ridiculous. Impressive. Yeah, that's awesome. Like he was, it's, a, it's unheard of. It's absurd. And that includes all the, the swing passes and the catches out of the backfield and how many times he just pounded the rock to the line. He was the safest bet on the field to make a positive play for CU last year. And so that's going to be tough to replace. Um, That's going to be very difficult to replace. Um, The other gentleman that you mentioned, Alex Fontenot, I think some people are going to be surprised at how talented this kid is. Yes, he's a redshirt freshman, uh, but he is a big body with powerful lower half that can run. And so I feel like we're going to have kind of a shared backfield, 600 or six feet, 200 pounds. Sorry. Um, I think it's going to be a shared backfield, and I think they're going to go with the hot hand. That might not make a lot of CU Buff fans happy. They want one power back or one lead back like Philip Lindsay. Um, but I think those two are going to share the backfield. We also kind of have a change of pace back or third down back in um, Kyle Evans, a senior this year, who uh, I think is trustworthy. He's shown flashes. He's a little bit on the smaller size, though. He's smaller than Philip Lindsay, who isn't exactly a big boy either. Um, but, you know, I think he gives us a chance to, you know, work the ball out of the backfield. There's also a possibility that Katie Nixon, kind of our slot wide receiver, playmaker, athlete out of Texas, is going to get some chances to kind of run a split back set and, and get a chance to, you know, make some make some plays out of the backfield. The other guy that you mentioned, Bo Bisharat, I think he's kind of the guy that's been been lost in, in, in the recruiting. He's been recruited over, if you will. Um, he is a phenomenal athlete, but I think he'd be better suited on the other side 
side of the ball, to be honest with you. I think he's an NFL caliber athlete when it comes to playing the linebacker position, but he really wanted to give running back a try. The other problem is, is every time we put Bo Bichirat in, it was either a run by Montez or a straight dive up the middle by Bichirat. Like you knew it was coming. It was the worst, like it's the worst poker face in the country. They would be like, <laughs> Philip Lindsay, Philip Lindsay, Philip Lindsay, fourth and one, Bo Bicharek comes up. They stop us at the goal. I think running back, to be honest with you, and you know, I was going to get into, it's probably one of the bigger questions uh, on the offensive side of the ball, at least for myself. And I know Tyler and Tyler feel the same way as that's going to be one of the positions that we're really not going to know who the lead back is maybe till the beginning of the season or even a couple of games in. Um, as long as they're serviceable, as long as they do their job, as long as they can you know, provide good pass protection as well. And I think that's something that Philip Lindsay was overlooked at is he was a phenomenal blocker out of the backfield, phenomenal blocker out of the backfield. He is a bulldog. He will take on anyone bigger than him literally at any chance. And so there's a lot of things that they're going to need to, to work on here and to show, but I think that, um, it will be a question mark, maybe even four games into the season until we figure out what really is going on back there. Rob, is that encouraging for you? What do you think here? Yeah, I mean, I think we've heard good things out of uh, CU about Trevon McMillan. Um, and I think that there are quite a bit of expectations on him, actually. But like you said, like he had diminishing, you know, he had diminishing returns at, at Virginia Tech. And, um, you know, maybe it is you know change of pace and um and there may be less there may be less emphasis with uh, the new oc and play caller to um although he was the co-oc last year the new play caller um moving to a bit more of a, a pass oriented spread um so there may be less emphasis and you won't you may not need to get 300 touches uh to any of these you know even to, you know these guys combined but i yeah it's a it's a big question mark but i think they I think they've got enough talent there and experience to to help fill in where you won't see. I mean, you don't you don't have to have a Philip Lindsay type player, but you're not going to see some like massive drop off. Oh, I totally disagree. This is going to be bad. I think this is disagree. Like, no. <laughs> it's here's the thing. So this is the whole point of it. We're supposed to disagree. No, you're supposed so. to. Yeah, this is hot takes. No, it, it's the <laughs> Philip Lindsay was such a monster, and they relied on him so much. And I think part of the reason was because they didn't trust people behind them and they didn't produce. One of the things that we'll see when we look at some of these depth charts, right? You have, uh, and now granted, these are better teams like USC and Colorado in terms of historically better. You have your your bell cow back that's averaging five and a half yards of carry. And then normally you dip down to the guys that get, you know, uh, I'm trying to think like 50, 50 carries or something like that. And it's six yards, five yards, five yards, four and a half yards. And you go, and, and the problem is all the fans go, oh, look at that guy. He had six and a half yards on 50 carries. What's he going to do when he gets up? And then and then there's always the argument of, well, is he going to get there? Is he not going to get there? But the fact that there's that, that there's the talent there that's been able to prove at least since small numbers that they're able to be productive that has not been the case here at all um it'll be interesting to see if alex fontenot um can step up as a redshirt freshman I mean, he's gonna have to be really good to fill in for that i think having a guy that's transferring has to new, learn a new scheme yeah it could be a change of pace like i, th- I just thought philip Lindsay was such an important piece to this uh colorado uh offense that's why we titled the um the preview you know are you ready for the full montez because you're going to need to have montez throw to that talented <laughs> bat that talented wide receiving core i think for this offense to be successful so if you can get 
like uh, 800 yards out of one of these backs, I think that's probably as good as it's going to get and pray to God that they can block. And I would assume that they can. I think that'll be important. And John, I think you made a good point there in terms of like being able to have somebody that can block for Montez there. But I just don't see a situation where this is going to be as good as, as what they got under Lindsay. Oh, no, I don't think well, I will. I will add one more thing. Sorry, Rob. I will add one more thing and I'll let you get after it is it's kind of a, it, it, it shows two different things is that Philip Lindsay covered up for how bad the offensive line was. If you go back and look at some of these CU football games, you will see missed blocks. You will see missed assignments and Philip Lindsay makes something out of nothing. Now the hope is, and we'll get into this a little bit later is that these backs won't have to make up for those glaring mistakes or that lack of talent or deficiency in execution. So, you know, it, it again highlights how good Philip Lindsay was, but also showcases some of the reasons that this offensive struggle by this offensive unit struggled last year is because of how poor the offensive line was. So it, it, it's a, it's a unit that obviously depends on another unit to kind of succeed. And it just, again, highlights how good Philip Lindsay was for CU. It's all you, Rob. No, I, mean, I was just going to say, like, I don't think the expectation is that they're that they're going to be as run heavy and reliant, you know, on the running back as they were with Lindsey. Like, I, I think they're going to become, as you alluded to, they're they're going to by necessity, and I think also by scheme from the the new OC, they're going to go to a, a more pass oriented offense. Okay, yeah, I guess that's fair. I was more going toward like, no, there's no way they're gonna they're gonna do that. So if they do have a much like as long as they're pulling away there, and I do think by the way this wide receiving core is quite good. Looking at this, you know, on paper you go, all right, Colorado loses Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo, and Devin Ross. Those are three legit players over the course of their career, not just in 2017, but like in the years prior to that, and. One of the things that when we were talking with uh, the other Tyler about, hey, let's take a look at this wide receiving core. What do we got here? You guys are pretty high on the core you have here. You have some really interesting guys coming back. Like you mentioned Jawan Winfrey. And we'll definitely talk about him because he's one of the people that you mentioned. Uh, but Caban Ento and like you have Jay like McIntyre, who basically like sixty seven percent of the passes that he caught were for a first down or a touchdown. You have um, a, a guy like Tony Brown coming in from Texas Tech, who was a highly recruited guy. You have a uh, Lavisca Chenault. Is that how you pronounce that guy's name? LaVisca, that's very close. LaVisca, getting getting closer, but that guy's supposed to be a monster, 6'1", 205. He seems to be an athletic freak. Can you just walk through this wide receiving core that Colorado has and why you guys are so bullish on the talent, even though the talent didn't manifest itself, but I would assume that's because you had like three monsters in front of them? Well, yeah, first of all, I have to say, you were probably one of the first people I've talked to outside of CU's fan base that has even kind of seen a little bit at the potential of this wide receiver crew, we've actually been downplayed a lot because it's like, like you said, you've lost three guys that, again, were ranked in one of the top five receiving cores going into 2017. Uh, but we saw the talent behind them, and I'm actually more excited about these guys than I was the three that, that graduated last year. Now, again, we are very grateful and love their talent, their effort, and what they did for us in 2016 and setting the standard of what Darren Chivarine likes to call the blackout boys. But Juwan Winfrey and LaVisca Chenault are, if you get a chance, go, go find them on Twitter and see these are grown men. They are huge. Like if you were to just stack up LaVisca Chenault, Juwan Winfrey, KB on Ento, 
Katie Nixon and Jay McIntyre next to the guys that graduated last year. And just off looking at them and what it seemed like they could do athletically, you would immediately pick this class coming in this year, the guys coming in this year. Uh, when we first recruited LaVisca Chanel, Tyler uh, Ziskin and I both looked at the, the way he has, with the way he uses his body, the type of hands that he has, and obviously the dreads. We were like, he's a poor man, he's a jail. Like the dude can use his body to box out and get in the right position all the time. I think his average play last year was 35 plus yards a touch. Um, and so you're very excited at what he's able to do. He has lived in the weight room this summer, hasn't lost a step, and looks like he is ready to terrorize the DBs of the Pac-12. Then you, on top of that, you have Jawan Winfrey, who you got a glimpse of against USC last year, and just put a dude in a blender um, in a short stint. What you got to see when he got to play, he looks like he can make a step and again be an NFL caliber wide receiver. Um, Big catch radius, big time wide receiver that we feel like finally we can use in the red zone. Someone that you can literally just lost the ball up to and he can go get it. Uh, you have Jay McIntyre, who is like, when you need to drive a first down play, you throw it to Jay McIntyre. Great set of hands, great route runner, understands defensive schemes and where to find the soft spot of it. KB Onento is a senior coming into this year that actually redshirted last year because we are so loaded at the wide receiver position right now. But he is a big-time playmaker as well. It has been one of the guys that when you ask practice, some of the players after practice, who stands out, it's KB Armento. Then you have Katie Nixon, LaVisca Chenault's high school teammate, who's kind of like our all-purpose back, if you will. He'll come out of the slot. He'll come out of the backfield. He's a big-time playmaker with a bunch of speed. All you got to do is get up the ball in his face, and he'll make make a big play. The funny thing is, is you mentioned Tony Brown, four-star recruit out of Texas tech transferring here this year. I don't think he sees the field. Oh, that's the crazy part. I actually don't think there's enough room for Tony Brown to see the field this year because KB on Katie Nixon, Juwan Winfrey, LaVisca Chanel, Jay McIntyre will hog all those receptions. So you have five guys in front of Tony Brown right now that it's going to be, I mean, he'll be there next year, but I mean, that is how stacked our wide receiver classes and Darren Shevarini has done a great job at making sure that those skill positions on the outside of the hash marks have the cupboard is not bare. We are locked and loaded and ready to go. Yeah. And Tony Brown was a highly touted blue chip kid coming out of high school. And it's not like you guys haven't done this before. Like you mentioned with KB and Ento, uh, a really talented wide receiver that ended up redshirting because there were so many people in front of him. In fact, last year when we did our Colorado preview, we joked that um, the, the depth on Colorado's wide receiving core was kind of like when you, when you hit a point of NCAA football where you're just auto recruiting because you're the best team in the country. And it's like 89, 89, 89, 88, 89. Like that I mean, literally all the way down. Right. It's crazy the talent that uh, McIntyre's been able to bring into this program at the wide receiving front. Uh, Rob, I mean, having a really potent quarter, possibly quarterback with some talent here. The the one thing that gives can give people pause is as you look at these statistics. Yes, they all look big, like Winfrey six three two ten, Ento six three like two hundred pounds, Chenault six one two. I mean, like they have the size, they have the uh, potential. But none of these people have caught more than 400 yards uh, in, in a season, and that's Jay McIntyre, and he was kind of like the, the bug that goes around and gets the, the third-yard uh, pickup. 
how optimistic are you in this wide receiving core? And is there anybody that sticks out for you? No, I think there's definite reason for optimism, but uh, I think if you're going to make the case against the wide receiving core, not just beyond the the lack of a lack of sort of on field production is most of these guys have been around a while and they didn't beat out last year's core. And when we look at last year's core, who were, who were highly rated as college wide receivers, they kind of remind me a little bit of like Nate Phillips and Samaji Grant at Arizona, guys that Arizona fans loved to put up some decent college stats. But at the end of the day, like maybe weren't really among like the best, you know, wide receivers even in the Pac-12. And I think when we look at this Colorado guys last year, like they did put up a lot of great statistics. But I mean, I'm not sure. Like I'm not sure they would have started at UC USC or UCLA or Washington or Oregon. I mean, and that's a little bit of a knock. And I, I, I think these guys, if there's a knock on them, it's that these are the guys that couldn't beat them out. It's not that they weren't around. Um, so yes, there's an immense amount of size and athleticism there. Um, and I think that's exciting. And I do think that that I, I, you can't, I mean, as an Arizona fan and watching Rich Rodriguez, not, recruit outside wide receivers it's important it's important to have size out there but these guys all have something to, to prove that they haven't shown yet i mean it's like you said for the uh the running backs you know like it's easy like these guys come in they're fresh they you know they they they, they have the fresh legs they put up a big play so they're average you know, when you look at their average it's, it's some ungodly number when you've got to be in there and you're the every down wide receiver, you're going, your numbers are going to, you know, of course drop. What's, what's the new average going to be? Um, and what's it going to settle at? And, you know, are these guys, did, if they, if they have this size and this athleticism, the question is, is was it the route running that kept them off the field? Um, you know, did they have that down? Have they corrected for that? Um, are they ready to step in? It's, it's it's not it's not as simple as saying like oh like the other guys ahead of them were just so great that these guys never made it on the field if the guys ahead of you weren't guys that went the you know first or second day of the nfl draft like it's a reasonable question to say like all right what was what was keeping you off the field what do you think there john is that some dirty shade i don't know that that's a tie like i just i just wanted to construct the case Against it, oh no, so. for sure. I'm just I'm just going to use the line from Braveheart when they asked Mel Gibson what he's going to do on the horse, and I'm going to go I'm going to go peck a fight. Uh, yeah. um, no, I, I I mean to be honest with you, the truth is I, I mean it's going to come on, and you're going to figure it out when the lights go on, right? I mean we can prognosticate till till the end of days here um, because there are a lot of unproven players at this point. But the only thing I will say is that one, McIntyre is notorious for sticking with the with the hand that got him there. Um, and those three carried him through the rise um, in Bobo, Ross, and Fields. Um, but I will say that LaVisca Chenault and Katie Nixon are sophomores. Um, Jawan Renfrey tore his ACL two years ago. So last year was kind of more of a comeback and prove it year for him. KB Onento, obviously redshirted. Jay McIntyre has obviously been in the mix for quite some time. And Tony Brown had to sit out last year. So there are a lot of things to that, you know, KD and LaVisca are just kind of getting used to college football um, at a very high pace. Um, and then Jawan Winfrey was also just getting his feet back up from under him because as you guys know, a torn ACL can be nothing or it can be the end of your career. 
And so trying to figure that out is is uh, both difficult, difficult physically, but I also think mentally sometimes for kids at that young of an age, especially when you've had high expectations coming out of high school. Here you are, a redshirt junior, and you've yet to play many downs in D1 football. So I, I think that, you know, we'll probably circle back here at the end of the year, boys, and, you know, we'll, we'll cheers over a beer and, and see whether we were right or wrong. But I think for a lot of the guys on CU this year, it's, it's what are you going to do when the lights are on? And, and we'll know come Sunday uh, what you did and, and how you were able to handle, um, like you said, being an every down player. Fair enough. Well, I think that if there's one thing we can agree on, it's that this offensive line was terrible last year. <laughs> we had a <laughs> yeah, uh, unit good. that returned four of five starters uh, from the Pac-12 South champions. And uh, really, I-, I was expecting a lot out of this offensive line, and they just did not step up. And it was uh, a little bit depressing. One of the things to keep in mind was that, again, any player not named Philip Lindsay averaged less than about 2.7 yards per carry, and this offensive line gave up 39 sacks. Now, one could argue that uh, Montez held the ball a little bit too long in, in the back, but like at some point, you got to figure that the offensive line was a mess. And I know that, John, you had uh, mentioned the fact that it was at times quite frustrating to watch, um, and you could see it blatantly. And if you could see it blatantly, then that means it's really bad <laughs> because sometimes uh, I think while you're when you're watching football your eyes are everywhere else and you don't see the offensive line so it's when it is glaring it is quite bad is there any hope this year for this uh this unit i believe there is um first of all we lost tim line last year who was uh, a freshman all-american at center at a guard that he, or at a position that he doesn't normally play um he's going to be moving to right guard this year and he's fully healthy so i think that's one, a big staple. I think, two, uh, for quite some time there, uh, if you looked at our offensive line, I remember only, I went to up to Boulder, I think it was two years ago, and I think it was during the rise even, and you looked at USC's line compared to ours, and you were like, sweet mother of God. Like, we are, we are running out guys from the movie Unnecessary Roughness. Like, there is no one that should be on this offensive line going against UC's D-line. Like, it was just, it was, it was terrifying, but this year we have some we have some options at left, at left and right tackle that I think put us in a good position. We're looking at two guys and Aaron Hagler and Josh Kreiser that are averaging six foot six, three hundred pounds. So we got some big boys at the tackle position that are athletic and give us an opportunity to give Montez a chance to kind of sit back and, and digest the defensive scheme. Um, again, Tim Lynott at right guard. Um, we have a battle going on at left guard between Brett Tons and William Sherman. Um, Brett Tons is the big body. William Sherman is the athletic young redshirt freshman. Um, that will that battle will continue on throughout the preseason. And then we got another redshirt freshman at center, Colby Purcell. Um, who has done a great job so far this year and really transformed his body over the summer. He's 6'4", 290 pounds, uh, rather athletic out of California. And so, uh, you know, again, and as I continue to hear myself talk, it's a lot of yet to be proven. A lot of things that sound great, a lot of things that look great, and a lot of things that if you turned it on a piece of paper would, you know, get you a good grade. But it's going to be determined when you turn the lights on. Um uh, you know, offensive line recruiting has been a battle for us, and we've started to kind of stock the cupboard. But, um, you know, the hope is is that we got some senior leadership here at the right tackle position and that we've got some more experienced guys coming back in terms of, you know, Aaron Hagler and Tim Minot. 
and that uh, you know we can we can take care of business this year. But it's it's still going to be another wait and see. Rob, what do you think about the depth on this front too? I mean, that's one of the things you can have a good starting five, and we see this at team after team. It's the difference between a team that wins ten games and a team that wins eight games. It's the offensive line and their ability to continue to recruit at a high level. I think McIntyre's done a decent job on this front. But what are your impressions of their depth and their line in general? I mean, I think the depth is a little better than maybe you could say they had last year. Um, you know, yeah, and it's there's it. It sounds crazy, but like the utility infielder of your average college line is some JUCO transfer. So yeah, yeah um, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, who who will play all the positions if asked? Um, so you know. Kerry Kutch could even see the, you know, maybe end up seeing the field just because he's probably had some more playing experience than some of the guys behind him. Um, and really, as a whole, I mean, the line, it's hard to imagine them playing much worse than last year. I mean, really, the game they looked good was against Arizona, but Arizona's had an awful defense last year. So, um, yeah, I, I, I see only really room for improvement, <laughs> oddly enough, with the line. <laughs> and there's nowhere else but to go up, boy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, John, before we get into the defense, uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on at Freeballing Podcast and what CU fans could uh, look forward to this coming season. Absolutely. So, uh, Tyler, Tyler, and myself are uh, getting amped up. We're going to release our first podcast next week, kind of giving a season preview of what we are ex- to expect out of the 2018 Buffaloes, uh, and then we'll continue on a weekly basis. Um, on top of that, we'll be doing some maybe some live hits from some of the games we go to this year, and we're also going to be doing a live hit from the Nebraska game in Omaha. Uh, so, you'll be getting a lot uh, in regards to content throughout the football season, uh, not only pregame review but also post-game review. Uh, and then one of the things we like to do is, as you guys know, and, and getting a chance to listen to our podcast is we like to keep it on the lighter side of things too. Uh, and we'll include things like Pac-12 things draft or kind of just some fun and games as we like to kind of uh, treat it like bar talk uh, every once in a while. So really excited uh, for the 2018 season. I think we've got a lot to be excited about as Buff fans this year. A lot of question marks on the table, but a lot of possible uh, great answers to those questions. Uh, and then as we progress through the season, both Tyler and Tyler will also put out um, our free ball and uh, gambling podcast that kind of goes over uh, what you can expect, uh, some of the lines that they like, some of the games that they like uh, throughout college football. Uh, they speak to futures. They speak to game lines. They speak to over-unders. Uh, uh, really, really knowledgeable in that regard with some strong algorithms that we provide to any fan base, uh, just the, you know, the, the regular college football fans. So excited for the 2018 season and uh, excited to be a, a part of this podcast group and uh, moving forward throughout the year. Legit. And where can people find you? So you can find us uh, uh, in terms of our, our, prod, our podcast, Freeball and Podcast. You can find it uh, on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, we are available on all uh, uh, social medias or vehicles for uh, podcasts. You can also find us at, at Freeballing Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, all opinions of Tyler Ziskins are purely his own, as it's the most active one on Twitter. Uh, but uh, we like to interact with the fans on there. Uh, so uh, just really excited to uh, get our fans some content and, uh, and talk about the bus. Yeah, check them out. They're they're good people and uh, just a good follow on Twitter, too. If you haven't uh, followed them yet, please do so. <laughs> so. All right, let's roll into this defense here. We have to start the defense with Javier Edwards. 
who I, I, I might have, I, I may have uh, over exaggerated a little bit. He's actually 6'3, but he came in at like 6'3, 295 pounds. He has shed, uh, to his credit, about 50 pounds. And that was before I saw the updated uh, weigh ins for, for this team. So this is a big dude. He came in, he was out of Florida. Big dude came in with, with a lot of. Uh, a lot of accolades, like you mentioned, wasn't quite where he needed to be physically. Just physically, he was huge, but in terms of the athleticism behind it, wasn't quite there. And this defensive line was quite quite interesting. So um, here, here's a sleazy stat. Between Arizona, Washington, ASU, Utah, and Oregon State, Colorado gave up 326 yards on the ground in each of those games on average like that that is that is very very bad and when you look at a defensive line i think this is one of the biggest worries on the defensive front because some of the other positions behind this line are are quite good but when you look at javier edwards who needs to get better you kind of look at who else is on this line and i'm kind of just going like okay mustafa johnson is somebody john that you mentioned as somebody we should stop and talk about what makes him special and and is he what's he going to bring to this line that's going to make it vastly improved over what it was last year so in regard to mustafa johnson um again he's a guy that has four to play three they just said that this kid's a motor his body belt, he's 6'2, 285 but again his wingspan and his hands are greater than what a normal 6'2, 285 defensive lineman would be um they just said that his in terms of his athletic ability his a turn in his capability to eat up offensive linemen um is is shown out very very well um in in some of the early practices i mean cu's offense isn't built around the d end or beating the offensive lineman and getting in the backfield. CU's defensive line between the two DMs and the nose tackle is built to open up holes to let our outside linebackers and middle linebackers get in the backfield and disrupt the quarterback. I think Drew Lewis led the country in quarterback pressures last year, one of our inside linebackers. So, you know, if Mustafa Johnson can come in and immediately make an impact on the defensive line, where not only is he creating some disruption in the backfield by getting a good push and a good lean on those offensive linemen, but also eating up those linemen to open up the holes, then he is doing what we struggled with last year in regards to holding up that offensive line and not letting them get to the second level. Um, so he's come in and really showed that he has the capability to to fulfill that role. Um, and then you spoke about Javier Edwards. I mean, dude, 6'3", 400 pounds when he showed up last year. That's, that's three dudes. That's a big <laughs> human being. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and when he came in, we were excited because we finally had a nose tackle since George Hippolyte that could come in, eat up linemen, and make some plays. Well, what we didn't know is that he couldn't get two breaths past the hot dog before he got tired. So he was getting not only pushed back, but wasn't eating up linemen. And so it was creating these huge holes that you guys saw in the Arizona game. Oregon State and Ryan Null ran all over us. Arizona State had a field day. Gaskins had a field day at Washington. Like, we couldn't stop a wet paper towel. So he has come in and completely revamped his body. I think an unsung hero of the CU football team is the strength and conditioning coach, Drew Wilson, because he has turned a lot of these guys into what look like D1 Power 5 football players, something that CU has sorely lacked over the last 10 years. Um, and so coming back in at 6'3", three, three, or 350 now, so lost 50 pounds. Uh, McIntyre had a press conference the other day that said that they pushed him as hard as they could for a whole practice and he never quit. Um, so I think that if he builds up his stamina with his size, 
and his strength capabilities, that that should definitely create better opportunities for our speedy linebackers creating plays, not only on the quarterback, but the running back as well. And you guys have that four-time judo champ, uh, Finnish judo champ, by the way. He's kicking ass in Finland, man. Malumba. Uh, Senior. Kind of like a so when you yeah. talk about the, the the two guys you got Johnson that's two eighty five Edwards that's three fifty and then uh, and he's over at like two seventy five which is still fairly big for an end but he seems like the smaller of the three is he going to see as much time or is a player like Terrence Lang or some of these younger guys going to be able to push him aside uh, not not on the judo mat but just like you know in the football field <laughs> to be able to get there to that point where th- this line is improved because it seems like you're going to need to shove a couple people out of the way that maybe have been playing a little bit in order to get some new life and some new energy there. I think actually Mulumba has made great strides throughout the year. I mean, you got to remember that when we picked him up last year, he was fresh into football. Um, again, being a Finland uh, Finnish judo champ, that was his primary uh, athletic focus for quite some time. So this wasn't a kid that was growing up in Texas or California playing football all his life. And then, came out with this grown man's body and ready to go. He, he had to, he had a steep learning curve last year, but you know, some of the thought process was, is that with his judo background, he was going to learn how to use his hands, position his body, get good tilt, get good lean, how to use, specifically judo, you try and understand or use the other person's body weight. And he started to learn how to use the offensive line's body weight. I mean, you can listen to some of the best, DMs of NFL football, they talk about using the offensive line's way to get them. And so I think he's actually going to do very well this year. I think he is feeling a little bit more comfortable. I think one of McIntyre's big saves is clear minds, fast plays. Um, So when you're not overthinking the situation, just going out and playing some football, you're going to do some damage. And you're right, he's 6'4", 280. Like our front three are not small dudes. We we got some big boys on the line finally. I think Malumba is going to kind of hold his own this year. I do think that Terrence Lang is going to be pushing all both DMs for some playing time this year. He's 6'5", 280, and it was always a question of how much he cared about football or how how big how much his drive was or how bad did he want to play. And it seems like the light switch uh, went on this year over the summer. And there was a picture of him um, with a, with uh, a couple with Malumba actually, and he was the biggest one out of all three of them. Um, you know, and so if he can transfer that athletic ability into, you know, how much he cares about football and flips the switch, he's going to be pushing some of those guys for some playing time for sure. So you feel, I mean, I think one of the questions that Colorado had last year was, did they have really enough useful depth? Because, yeah, the defensive line looked tired a lot of times out there. I mean, part of it was the offense was not staying on the field nearly enough. But, you know, there was not enough rotation. Are we going to see enough rotation, you know, in there? Because, you know, as you said, these guys are they're there to eat up space. You know, if they're not getting a double team, you know, if they're if they're worn out and can just be picked off and get X'd out by a single blocker, um, your your linebackers are going to have similar stat profiles to what they had last year, which is a, a lot of tackles, but not a lot of impact tackles. You know, not a lot of tackles right. were lost, not a lot of sacks. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that for the first time in a long time, too, and one, you're absolutely correct. I mean, Drew Lewis had like 130 tackles, but I would be interested to see how many of them were after a five-yard game. But for the first time, we've had actually guys that have the body to fill in those front line, those front three. 
it, it used to be that we would run out a guy that's 250. Like, that's the next one up. And you just can't have that. It doesn't fit your defensive scheme if you don't have the body types of Lumba, Johnson, and Edwards. Um, like I said, Terrence Lang this year um, has really grown into himself. And actually, I take it back, he's 6'7", 280. Um, that is a big boy. Um, and then behind uh, Edwards, we have Lyle Tuoloma um, at 6'3", 305. And then uh, we have Jace Frank, who's been kind of like a – He's kind of like the, the Swiss Army knife. He can play all positions. He's got a, a great base, kind of wide body. He's not as big as the rest of them at 6'3", 260, but he, he can play those positions. He's, he's relatively strong for his size, so he's kind of more of the float than he is a primary position. Uh, so, you know, you made a great point. Last year, after those three, we didn't have anyone to put in, um, and it was rather worrisome when it came down to when, you know, Javier got tired or when Malumba got tired or, you know, at that time, I think it was Shamar Hamilton. Like we did not have anyone to back that up. And those guys are getting burnt. There's no way you can expect it out of someone smaller. So uh, I think we have uh, some greater depth this year than we have in the past. And we got a young freshman at uh, Israel Inktwine that we stole from Oklahoma State right at signing day that has, he showed, he has one of the best bodies. He's 6'3", 285 as a freshman. Uh, with like 10% body fat and he's already starting to make plays in camp. So we've had some depth there past the first two lines that give us an opportunity to fill that in when these guys start to wear down. I think you're going to need it though. I mean, just this defensive, uh, the, the run defense was pretty rough last year, but I think one of the things that I discount oftentimes is like, well, you have all these returning starters, but what if they all suck? Uh, but you know, at some point you do have all, you do have improvement, right? Like players lose weight, players figure right. out how to scheme, they figure out how to react better and all that stuff. So it will be interesting to see. I think this is probably on paper the weakest uh, the weakest core of this Colorado team, just because they were so bad last year, they have so much room to make up. I think they, they ranked 104th in terms of how many sacks they were able to secure from the opposing team. They gave up a ton of yards on the ground. But if you do have uh, Javier Edwards, who is stronger, and Mustafa Johnson, who is, is pu- pushing through, I think you can at least get from a C to like a C plus or a B minus and just hope that that's kind of where the line is. If they go further than that, I mean, just think of how big of a jump that was from last year, uh, particularly with a new Brother, defensive coordinator. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, you know, Elliot hopefully is going to make a jump this year and have a better understanding of what he has uh, in the kitchen cabinet. But I mean, after the stat you rattled off, my man, that's an F. We can if the, if the offensive line can't get any worse, our run defense surely cannot. Like that was bad. It was. I mean, they would show run, and you knew, you knew Khalil Tate was running the ball. Yeah, you everybody in the stadium knew it. About it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the second biggest reason why they're. When you look at people prognosticating about the Pac-12 South, that's why Colorado is so low. Is you know, is this going to be the same run defense as last year? Because if it is, they're going to win three games. But if it's a game, you know, if it's right. a defense that can, you know, at least finish in the top four, uh, or I'm sorry, the bottom four, like around there in the Pac-12, then maybe you can have a a defense that at least holds the line on some of the, these run attacks and, and be able to rely on the pass offense. But I want to highlight your linebackers because they are good. Um, you know, you mentioned Drew Lewis having a ton of tackles, Rick Gamboa having a ton of tackles. I think one of the problems is those guys are excellent. They are really strong, legitimately, uh, possibly all Pac-12 players, you know, over the course of their years. One's a senior, one's a junior. 
I don't know if they're first team, but they could make a, an honorable mention or an all like tw- second team Pac-12. But they are talented. One of the problems and the reason I think they had so many tackles is like you mentioned, you know, <laughs> maybe it was five yards after uh, the running back gets past the defensive line, and they were out there a ton, and there wasn't a lot of uh, depth behind them. So one, I think it was Drew Lewis. They actually had to drag out basically out of the games and replace with somebody like Nate Landman just because he was getting so tired. Yep. But the difference this year, though, is you have somebody like Jacob Collier who was able to pressure quarterbacks all over the place, and then you got a guy named Davian Taylor who I think is the biggest bright spot in theory on paper for this Colorado team. What do you have in your linebacking core, and and are you as optimistic about it as we are? I would have to agree with you, man. I mean, Jim Lewis uh, made what Bruce Feldman's you know freak list. He's one of the top twenty freaks in all of college football. Which- you had a guy be on that before, and it's because he bench pressed a lot. He never even played. So, I, you know, take it for what you know. But uh, I think you're right. Jacob Callier is going to be a force on the outer edge. Um, you know, he had a great year as a freshman, and he's actually leaped out a little bit, picked up some speed. So we have, we have some optimism in return in regards to what Jacob's going to be able to do uh, at the outside linebacker position. Drew Lewis is a beast. He is an absolute freak athlete. Um, very quick twitch has a you know great vision uh, is able to react to the play very very quickly and uh, you know hopefully like you said it's more of making plays in the backfield or at the line of screen as the defensive line is doing their job this year Rick Gambo is kind of the quarterback of the defense he is incredibly tel- intelligent very very high football like you um, and you know kind of provides that defense with a steady hand in regards to understanding the offensive scheme you know reading plays um, and providing that defense uh, you know a, a like I said a steady hand in terms of preparation and then Davion Taylor um, the dude's a freak athletically I mean he was in the top 10 in the Pac-12 in the 400 um, you know he was one of our biggest coups in recruiting last year uh, one of the top 10 Juco players in the country. And at his size and his speed at our buff backer position, I feel like it really gives us an opportunity to throw a lot of different looks at the defense. Um, you know, at 6'3", 220, to be running, you know, a 4'440 is a bit ridiculous. Um, and he's going to be able to fly all over the field and really give us, like I said, an opportunity to maybe take some chances we normally wouldn't, whether it's him rushing the passer or him covering even like a wide receiver or tight end and, and opening up some different scheming options for us on the defensive side of the football. I also think that we actually have some decent um, depth this year. Um, NJ follow Josh follows older brother was reinstated this year. He had a good first two years uh, at CU in regards to the outside linebacker position. Uh, Jacob Callier just played so well that he's now the backup for him. Um, Nate Landman uh, has actually put on a bunch of weight playing at 250 now. Uh, hasn't lost a step according to what we've heard out of practice and he's backing up drew lewis um very quick to the ball hits like a hammer and um loves physical contact just loves being a physical football player and we have akil jones backing up rick gamboa uh, again another athlete that i really think provides us with some depth if anything were to happen um, i don't know about his football iq in regards to rick gamboa but we are starting to see the fruits of the 2016 season in regards to recruiting to where, you know, outside of maybe quarterback, you're pretty comfortable with who is backing up the starter, um, at least talent wise, whether it shows up when the lights are on, that's a different story, but you're starting to see some guys show up that, uh, that can fill in that position athletically. Uh, the question I would have about this, this core is so 
Taylor, I'm assuming the buff backer is as USC calls it as a predator linebacker is sort of a rush linebacker uh, in the scheme. You know, if he doesn't come out of this with close to double digit sacks on the season, you know, how bad have things gotten? You know, that's a great question. I think it really depends on how uh, DJ Elliott decides to use Davion Taylor. Um, or whomever's in the because, position. It doesn't have to be him. I mean, somebody on your defense oh, has yeah. to come I, up with I, okay, more sacks. In that regard, if Jacob Callier or whoever, I would agree. I think we need to dramatically increase our sack totals. You know, Jimmy Gilbert a couple of years ago was our sack specialist, and he was phenomenal at it. And I think the hope is is that Jacob Callier can take that step this year. Again, I think with the athleticism that we had in the linebacking crew and some of the uh, gained experience we had along the defensive line, that we should be able to open our defensive scheme a little bit. Um, you know, we'll get into it a little bit later, but we've always felt very comfortable with our DBs. Um, this is obviously a passing league, uh, and it's, you know, college football in its own right is just a, a passing uh, a passing game heavy nowadays. So, uh, you know, I think that if our DBs can live up to the hype um, that we've created over the past couple of years, I think that we should see a dramatic increase in terms of QB pressures and sacks this year, whether it's Callier or Taylor. Yeah, and overall, it's a good unit. Drew Lewis, again, 94 tackles, five and a half tackles for a loss, five quarterback hurries, two pass breakups. I would argue on the tackles front, if you see less production out of him, that's probably better. Just means that you have other players that are swarming in. Rick Gambo, I had mentioned that some of these guys being up for, you know, all Pac 12. He was an all Pac 12 honorable mention last year. 90 tackles, two and a half tackles for a loss, five pass breakups, three quarterback hurries. So again, these are players that have proven it on the field, but if they, if they get in the 70 to 80 range, and then they kind of uh, you know increase some of the the havoc type of stats i think that would be awesome and then yeah. i just think that there is some stuff here in this in this uh unit so it would be interesting to keep a lookout for because there is the experience and then you have the influx of talent whereas in some of the other units you have an influx of a lot of talent but they haven't quite proven it yet where there there's uh, the the good the whole shebang here is with the linebacking core the secondary right. though is really what colorado is known for they have six Friggin' players in the backfield playing the NFL right now. Six defensive backs are in the National Football League. Six. That is awesome. And when you go back and you look at Isaiah Oliver being the last guy that, that went through the, the program of hard knocks over there at, uh, at Colorado, the you know when you look at the next guy up, it's going to be Evan Worthington, who is the next NFL player. He had 87 tackles, six and a half tackles for a loss, six pack test breakups, three interceptions, the quarterback hurry, and a forced fumble. That is legit for a, a secondary. For like whenever I have to. Uh, take a breath after I read the stat line. That's a good sign. Um, he's going to be holding it down, and he has somebody like Nick Fisher right next to him, right there, who's going to be able to, to light some fools up uh, out there in the in the safety position. Uh, you know, talk talk to us about why Worthington's so good, and if you're bullish on this safety group. Uh, first of all, Worthington uh, just incredibly athletically gifted. Um, I also think he has great perspective. I don't know if uh, a lot of guys. Um, or a lot of fans out in uh, Wildcat country really know that, you know, he has had a battle to get on to the field with CU football. He was actually dismissed from the team for a while for uh, conduct unbecoming of a CU football player. And he had to earn his way back on. Um, He's also a dad and he has great perspective at the opportunity that he has in front of him. And he has put all his focus in all his effort into being the best strong safety that he can be for the Colorado Buffaloes. And it really showed up last year. 
Um, he is a great center fielder, reads the ball really well, can play one-on-one with a lot of wide receivers because he is very, very fast uh, for his strong safety and just really has a good I guess he, a good eye for offensive schemes. And so he reads, he reads the field really well in terms of where he should kind of gravitate towards as the play develops. Um, and so, you know, having someone like that at that position requires a, requires a safety, a free safety, like Nick Fisher to give you the freedom to do so. And if I was Nick Fisher, first of all, I would never wear a shirt. Um, he is absolutely <laughs> out. Like I would just, where it didn't matter. Like I wouldn't go to restaurants that wouldn't let me have a shirt on. <laughs> like you don't uh, want this here. What, what's the matter? Yeah, right. Like you have a problem. I thought like, this is America. Straight on, not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it doesn't stop me from eating. Thank you. Uh, but uh, you know, I think Nick had probably one of the more athletic plays against Cal last year. He returned an interception for 107 yards and ran outran the entire football team. Um, but. Nick is a great compliment to Evan Worthington. Evan's kind of more of your DB in a free in a, in a strong safety's body. Sorry, where Nick Fisher is the hard hitter. Um, he has fast breakups and some interceptions as well last year, uh, but really gives a good compliment to um, to Evan. Uh, so it should be fun to watch those two play center field. Now, I will tell you this: it is the thinnest position that I think the entire CU Buff staff or CU football team has. If either one of those dudes go down, I don't know if there's a guy right now that's ready to step in and fill it at that level that Evan or Nick can. Um, Evan is such a a great prospect and a high-quality player that as good as Aaron Maddox is coming out of JUCO, he's still only a sophomore. Um, and so I, I, that is one of the few positions that I'm very concerned if someone goes down. Uh, that we won't have the same level of play that we had um, that we have if Evan and Nick were healthy. Um, and then getting into the DBs, boys. Um, Again, like you said, it's been DBU as of late. Um, you know, I think it's Akil Witherspoon, Chidobe Awuzie, um, Akil Witherspoon, uh, Afalabi Laguda is playing with the Rams right now. Jimmy Smith is with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Akil Witherspoon is with uh, the San Francisco 49ers. So we've, we've turned some talent over the last couple of years. And you have to give credit to Shadon Brown, uh, Mike McIntyre, and Ashley Ambrose really turning this into like a mini DBU within the last five years. But Right now, they have it pegged at Chris Miller and Trey Udofia. Uh, you got a glimpse of Trey Udofia last year, um, and they are really high on him as a redshirt sophomore. Uh, the other guy that is really starting to turn heads is the Juco transfer, Delrick Abrams. Uh, he has been one of the players that when you ask someone who's really kind of catching your eye when the players get done with practice, they said Delrick Abrams. Um, he's really gifted athletically. Uh, again, a, a junior transfer out of junior college that has really started to show what he is capable of doing on the football field. And then Chris Miller, um, a redshirt freshman. As a freshman, he was showing up in practice so well athletically that it was actually kind of hard to keep him off the field. But again, you had Isaiah Oliver and Trey Udofia. Um, you're not going to replace Isaiah Oliver at that point. But Chris Miller is the front runner right now to have the uh, left cornerback position locked up when it comes to the start of the season. So uh, we continue to kind of progress in this kind of like mini DBU. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen our recruiting this year, but I think we have seven DBs um, committed already. Um, all three stars are higher. Uh, and so we've really kind of set the precedent out there that uh, this is a place that you can come and learn uh, the game of, of football and really set yourself up for the next level. 
I mean, that's an interesting strategy. I had not thought of just like only recruiting defensive backs. Like, <laughs> that's bro. I mean, look at the pass game these days. Outside of that's the true. Oh, at Oregon State, everyone throws the ball. <laughs> like, oh, I know. Like, I mean, I kid, but like, I swear there was a year like where like Rich Rod signed six safeties or something absurd like that. Oh my um, god! And then made some of them. You also did a video of him in in like. Gladiator gear. Well, let's not talk about the videos. All right, let's <laughs> let's let sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> um, but I, please, let's not talk about the bad acting and the corny. Oh my gosh! Um, Fair enough. But what I think when you when you look at the secondary for this year, I mean, last year, you know, you obviously had great production, same as the year before. Um, when you look at maybe trying to get more pressure on the quarterback. Are you confident that the, you know this group of players, and, and even getting into you know maybe even getting into your nickelback, can provide the coverage to you know maybe if it's the line defensive line isn't picking it up, you know the the coverage can last and can hold you know long enough for somebody to eventually get home uh, out there because I, I think last year the the DBs you know, there was some great coverage but quarterbacks had a ton of time you know so yeah you can't, can't hold that forever yeah yeah absolutely. i mean it's a totally unre- i mean it's a totally unreasonable expectation but i think we are i, I would expect there to be some improvement on, on the pass rush this year i mean i think the linebackers do bring back a lot um can can the dbs you know hold for long enough where if it's if they're not great they're you know they're, they're only okay um that you know the defense can get off the field yeah, I mean, that's a great question, man. Um, and to be honest with you, my perspective is this, is that with how bad the pass rush was last year, again, it can't get any worse, right? So you expect at least a mild improvement in regards to putting some pressure on the quarterback. Um, my other thought process is at this point, this staff has earned kind of our unrequited you know, respect in regards to what they're going to turn out in terms of DBs. Um, you know, Akil Witherspoon, uh, Cheetah Bay, um, you know, even Evan Worthington, um, all these guys, Isaiah Oliver, even, I think it came, which came out of there. He came from Arizona, um, were guys that weren't these highly touted four star, five star DBs. Um, they, I mean, I think Cheeto was committed to San Jose state before he came to see you. Um, Akilah Witherspoon was a lightly recruited Juco. Um, Isaiah Oliver was a lightly recruited athlete out of Arizona. Uh, Evan was from Colorado. So you've seen their, what they've lacked in the ability to um, kind of coach up O linemen. They have shown in the ability to coach up DBs. They know what they're looking for. They have a great core in McIntyre, Shadon Brown, and Ashley Ambrose, and they are churning out NFL DBs at a rate that you wouldn't think would be happening for a team that's had one winning season in 10 years. So they have a, they have a specialty that they've found. And I think that, you know, if we improve on the D line just a little bit, you have to put your faith in these DBs that they can, they can hold up. Um, you know, and they are what we think is CU fans is a very strong wide receiving core. So you're going against what we think are some of the best wide receivers, at least in, in, in the pac 12, on a day-to-day basis. So you're not going to see a whole lot that you wouldn't see outside of maybe a USC um, or, or like a, a UCLA or Washington. I'm following you. The one question I have is between, you know, Dante Wiggly, Chris Miller, um, 
Trey, uh, Adolfia, uh, Delrick, Abrams, like some of these guys that I'm just listing off who, whom I know are, are, could be solid, but do any of them show that lockdown corner potential that you've seen in the past with these Colorado players? I would think if it's going to be anybody, it's going to be, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I have nothing to back this up. I think it's going to be Chris Miller. And that's, I just think from what he is able to do athletically, very fluid hips, very good speed, that he's going to be the next big DB to come out of CU. I think Trey Udofia uh, showed flashes of that last year. Whether he's able to do that on a consistent basis, we'll have to see. Um, but I think Chris Miller is the one that, you know, will, will down the line be that lockdown corner. Now, I don't know about enough about Delrick Abrams, but I've also heard that he has shown more than enough in terms of athletically being a very, very good man-to-man and cover corner at the college level. Uh, you got flashes of Dante Wigley last year. I think that he would be a great nickel, nickel guy. Um, you know, I don't know if he's a one-on-one outside type of corner, man-to-man, but I think that, you know, again, these guys are very good at picking out who they want to play DB and, and, and coaching them up to a very high level of productivity. Okay. Well, I think overall, looking at Colorado here, we have, we have a basement of, yeah, he's pretty good, but he never, never lived up to his atten- to his uh, potential to right. heck. Yeah, man. The, the Montez brought it this year uh, at the right <laughs> at the running back. You got, Oh man, like, like we weren't like terrible is kind of probably the ceiling of, of where we're at right now. And uh, the, the bottom being like, holy Moses, at least they, they blocked, <laughs> blocked some guys that were barreling toward Montez <laughs> wide receiver is I think bare bones a B up to, this is one of the best wide receiving cores in the pac 12. I, I firmly believe that Rob, Rob, you might, might disagree with that a little bit, but um the offensive line could be anywhere from holy, holy God, he's dead. They they've killed Steven Montez and they've broken all of our dreams. To wow, like that 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 actually, you know, I'm really glad that we saw some improvement uh, on the offensive front. John, if you're playing NCAA football 2018, what grade would you give the Colorado offense? I would give them a B minus right now. Um, I think they're a little bit more over a C plus just because of the potential, but I also think the offensive line doesn't get them much higher than a C plus. Okay. On the defensive front, we got worst case scenario for the defensive line. It's meet the new boss. Same as the old boss, you know, just a terrible, <laughs> terrible run defense, no sacks at all. Um, I think uh, the ceiling there is probably a C if you can get there, which would be great. Like that would, and I don't mean that in a backhanded compliment that would legitimately show a, a level of player development that we haven't seen in a while. And then you have a couple pieces there that will probably fill in fairly well on their own, but that just means the whole unit themselves kind of come up. The line, Linebacking core is is legit. I think this is one of the strongest units you have on the team. I would give that maybe like a B, B plus, and then uh, with potential legitimately to be a little better than that. The secondary, I know your safeties are awesome. It'll be interesting to see what the corners is, but you have to figure that you have that history of being able to develop these players. And I think that's with Mike McIntyre. That's not necessarily with Jim Levitt. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where we're at there. On the defensive front, what grade would you give the buff defense? God, I just, I, I'm just thinking in my head when Buff fans listen to this, completely get wasted to the all in. Um, 
I think I'm going to go with C plus right now, man. Um, I think that the DBs and the linebackers definitely show an improvement. Um, but again, the question marks in the D line um, and kind of a little bit of the unknown with the cornerbacks leaves us not again quite in the B range. I feel like with their performance last year, outside of Isaiah Oliver and some other some other highlights, we're talking about a D grade for that defense last year, if not worse. So I would say around a C plus with a, with a possibility of improvement. Okay, that's fair. And Rob, the season win total for Colorado and Las Vegas is four and a half. What does the model say? So I have them at four point six nine wins. Oh no! So oh no! That's that's bad for the Conger checkbook. Oh my! <laughs> there's well, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's some potential upside. I mean, I think the mo- the preseason model is a little higher in UCLA, so um, you know the Buffs might have a better shot versus UCLA. Um, but they're they're going to have to win, you know, some games that they're going to be slight underdogs in. They're going to have to, you know, knock off California, maybe Arizona, um, definitely maybe pick off ASU or Nebraska uh, if they want to go bowling. ASU is going to suck. You guys are going to take care of them. Uh, uh, which oh, is a good. We, we disagree. <laughs> oh, we disagree. Well, we'll let that for another podcast. We'll end it here. Um, thank you so much for coming on, John. Uh, Rob, thank you for your time. Check out the podcast again. You can subscribe on iTunes. Follow the Freeballing Podcast if you're a Colorado fan or just a gambling fan in general at Freeballing uh, Pod. What's the, the Twitter handle one more time? At Freeball and Pot. Yeah, I got yep. it right. Okay, good, good. I want to make sure I didn't send you to somebody else. Like, so I was like, why is all these you know, Arizona fans following me? Um, hey, John. There's a lot of weird things to find on Twitter with Freeballing, so be careful. Oh, abs- yeah, absolutely. John, thank you for your time. Um, our next podcast, we're, we got like, we're going to go twice a week, basically. We're banging these out so we can get through every single Pac 12 team. Uh, visit our website, Wildcat Radio AZ. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you uh, soon.